Hook them up with he and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. What a weekend. And we're talking about it with you, Longhorns, into the top four in the country now. And have earned it. No fluke there. They went to uh, Tuscaloosa and took apart the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide and never flinched. Wow. Gave up the lead in the third quarter. Responded with 14 points in 15 seconds. Hmm. It's unbelievable. Found a way when uh, there were still seven minutes to go in the game, somewhat in doubt. It was a seven-minute and 14-second drive all on the ground, Rod. Similar in shades of that game with Baylor last year where Texas just grounded out. That was with Bijan and Roshan. They just did that at Alabama without those two guys, and it was Jonathan Brooks humping it up in there. How impressive was that? I mean, the list of impressive things we saw Saturday night, that's very high on that list. Quinn Ewers was outstanding, to say the least. Yeah, I put Quinn Ewers number one because that was his, like I said, that was his butterfly moment. He went from a caterpillar to a butterfly, and we watched it. We watched the metamorphosis. We watched the transformation it was something before our else. very eyes. And I'd put second the O-line. And if you want to put O-line ahead of Quinn, I would have no argument there. Zero sacks allowed in Tuscaloosa versus Alabama. And then run Hell, out the clock. And then run out the clock. Yeah, choking them out, essentially. Like you never had to punt the, the ball. I mean, they took a knee. I mean, that's the most satisfying moment in a football game or is when you take a knee. Like you you take the genuflect to run out the clock, and there's nothing they can do about yeah, it. Yeah, you choked Bama out. And I'll give the offensive line uh, stat again. Texas offensive line, the only group since 2014 that allowed fewer than three quarterback pressures and zero sacks in a single game against Alabama. Uh, shout out to uh, Hook'em Headlines for that stat. It's really good stat, but it shows you how dominant that offensive line was and how good was Quinn Ewers. Zero, count them, zero turnover-worthy passes against Alabama. He didn't even have a pass that actually looked like it was going to even come in close to harm's way. Right, the Longhorns did get some good breaks on some fumbles and balls were on the ground. They got to clean that up. Oh, yeah, they did. But, uh, you know, again, it it was everything you would want if you're you're Sark. Your team responded. You know, coaches always say, "I, I think I've got a good team, but I don't know until we get into a battle. And we saw at times last year that the team, you know, would lose the battle, mm. even though they were right there with the game. This group mm. went and won the football game with a twenty-eight to twenty-one to eight fourth quarter Ooh. run. Twenty-one and, to yeah. eight fourth quarter. We've been asking about the fourth quarter, right? Last year, Sark's uh, team was outscored in the fourth quarter in overtime uh, throughout the season, uh, but they obviously uh, outscored their opponents one hundred seventy-nine points combined in the first three quarters. We had not seen this team yet prove they were a four-quarter fourth quarter team. They went and won that game, and you talked about. To beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, you ain't gonna blow them out. Texas probably they could have, they have if everything would have went perfectly. They could have blown them out, but that's not the way football games uh, play out, right? There's gonna be adversity. There are gonna be trials and tribulations you're gonna have to overcome. That's exactly what happened in that game. And I'm glad we get we got to see the testicular fortitude and the grit of this team on the road versus Alabama. Another stat for the offensive line, just mind blowing stat. Rice, if I told you at the beginning of the season that Rice was going to have more pressures and more sacks against Texas than Alabama, you'd have probably told me I was smoking crack and that I need to <laughs> get some help. Yeah, Robbie, crack is whack, man. I don't know if it's meth crack, but you need to get some help. That's what happened, guys. Yeah. Alabama only had six pressures, zero sacks. They only hit Quinn Ewers twice. You said after the Rice game, E, that you were uncomfortable with how many times they hit Quinn Ewers they hit him a lot. in the Rice game. Yeah, he was taking some shots. And that's where you're giving the credit to O-line without a doubt. But how about Christian Jones and Kelvin Banks? Oh. Best two players on that Alabama defense are Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. 
Those guys didn't dent the scrap the, the the sheet, right? He did. Nope. Those two guys went non-factors. Pretty. I, that was, he made he made one play. Remember the fourth down? Yes, he did. He did. He made that. It was a great play by him. That's the only time I really remember him. His name being those mentioned. tackles did a great job. I they mean, did a great and job. And Kyle Flood put Kyle Flood out there. He's coaching that O line at a very high level, developing those <laughs> those players. And I I'll you know sing the praises of the D line because. You know, whether it was Byron Murphy, uh, whether it was uh, early on Alabama was, think about that, early on Alabama was able to run between the tackles, and they were pushing Texas around, and that they was were. concerning. And I do think, because I was doing the in-game broadcast on Inside Texas on the On Texas Football Channel, which, by the way, saw some numbers on that. There were a lot of people tuning into thank that, you so guys. thank you so appreciate much. appreciate y'all, man. It's such a fun way to watch the yep. ball game if you're not at the game. It is. Or not at a loud party somewhere. Where man, you, you did can... a great job, brother. You did a great job. Don't say you. yourself short, man. Well, Kill I mean, me. I think I, I'm pretty. that's pretty easy for me to just talk through a game, but at the same time, to have guys like yourself and uh, – um, you know, Jerry Hamilton, because Jerry made the point while they were pushing Texas a little bit, is it felt like Texas was worried about his legs. And you you criticized Alabama for not using his legs enough. It was I almost like so. instead of just pinning it back and getting after it, Texas's D-line early in the game was kind of standing up and worried about the the run. You might be right about that. And actually. that was allowing them to run the football. Traditionally, mm-hmm. they shut that down. They uh, and, and once they figured out. And then at the end of the day, it was Texas that was able to run the ball when Alabama knew they wanted to run the ball. That is a Sark uh, mission each and every game. Uh, we're going to play some highlights here coming up to get you pumped up one more time. Also say the weekend featured Novak Djokovic with a historic 24th Grand Slam title. Cowboys uh, just hmm. decimate the Giants last night. Uh, very, very apparent, uh, impressive. Deion Beast Sanders mode. and his Colorado Buffaloes are up to 18 in this week's AP they're, poll. They're going to have five straight nationally televised games when it's all said and done. Because they're playing, you say next week uh, after they play Oregon? Is it Oregon? No, they play somebody before Oregon. But then they got Oregon and USC. They play the Colorado State. They play Colorado State. Then and, Oregon, at Oregon, then USC. And Colorado State, they're already getting National game day. television, yeah. Game day's coming for that one. So yeah. they're going to get five nationally televised games in a row. Unbelievable. Yeah, Dion. That's immediate crazy. impact in a big way. And his team's really good. I mean, his that, team is actually they have good. issues. They have flaws. But these don't coaching they, around them. Don't all teams, though? That's they the do. beauty of it. Like, there's no perfect team and out there. And that's why this, this, this juggernaut of a schedule now, because there, there are seven Pac 12 teams ranked this morning. Seven. Um, wow. We've never seen the Pac 12 like this. And, and <laughs> we've never seen this many good. You know, I was thinking about this, Rod. I don't know, because we talked about at the beginning of the year the Pac 12, the number of really good quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. I mean, because people have said it's unprecedented for the Pac-12. It might, I think it's unprecedented for college football for one conference to have this many high-level quarterbacks. You can't name me a five conference. Or six of them. I mean, man. it somewhat goes back to the, the old Big, Big 12, 12, 2008. 2008. Yeah, yeah. When you, had, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, Colt and Sam Bradford mm-hmm. and uh, you know Graham yeah. Harrell. Yeah, even Can- was the Kansas quarterback was it Reese? Yeah, I mean they, they all had. Good, yeah. I mean this group and that's, a bunch of that's gonna be hard. But I'll say this: through two weeks, Shadur Sanders is the truth, man. That guy is the real deal. Uh, the defense was better this week. Yeah, Dion's doing a hell of a job, but that gauntlet is about to really heat up. But again, the, what he's already done is a huge win for them. So uh, we'll talk all those things, but you know what it's time to do, Rod? Get pumped up, relive the uh, nights Let's do it. in Tuscaloosa, and then we're going behind your burn orange curtain. Let's do it. Sanders, big man, rumbling free, gets a block, stiff arm, 
shoulder. What a run after the catch for this athletic tight end from Texas. Play fake. Ewers. Slam. Touchdown, Mitchell. What a response by Texas. On display tonight, battling in year three. Bill Rowe. Delivers right into the hands of the Longhorn. Intercepted by Jaron Thompson. His second mistake. He steps out inside the 10. Worthy in motion. Brooks. Fights to the end zone in Texas. Quickly cashes in to build the lead. What an incredible turnaround. Bruce in the pocket, launching downfield. Mitchell, touchdown, Texas. Or not. Well, they hand it off to pick up the first down and perhaps end the game. Brooks with a burst. Texas wow. has beaten Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Colossal college football matchup that'll have implications for months and months this college football season. I just, I'm, I'm so proud that my team, you know, our defense, we fired out. I'm fired up for the rest of the way. And they were all asking themselves the same question What is behind that curtain? All right, let's talk about that monumental performance. I just say, right, did you hear the crowd? That was like a home crowd for some of those touchdowns. Oh, what a great well, job by the Longhorn fans. Texas did represent. I even, uh, I had a friend of mine, a family friend, who actually went to the game, and they said that the Tuscaloosa private airport was so overrun <laughs> that they basically uh, they had to basically put in essentially their own kind of uh, new rules and regulations because apparently the Texas private jets that arrived were so much larger than some of the other private planes this airport was accustomed to that they were allowing like 40 or 50 fewer jets to park on the uh, tarmac because they just didn't have the room. So usually they probably would allow somewhere between like 140 or something. They were allowing like 80-something because the Texas Jets were huge. And they were overrun. They, had, they actually had some private jets circling the tarmac, uh, waiting to land because they just didn't have room to land. So just to uh, your point, E, just from the, the BMDs, the big money boosters and donors. They showed up. They showed up. Unlike anything, like an Air Force. Tuscaloosa <laughs> has never seen anything like that. Yeah, that burnt orange Air Force that came through there. Well, yeah. Uh, the big jets, baby. We got somebody on our text line asking: Is you know Saban? You know Sark's performance was so good. Now Saban, if he retires, would they want to hire Sark? And then I, but Sark's not leaving the NIL opportunities here to take the Bama job. Well, he's not leaving Austin and University of Texas. <laughs> Texas is a way better job than Bama. It is right now yeah, With the, in the NIL yeah, climate. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. you can build the juggernaut, and obviously, all those private planes. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, come on now, come on they, now. They, they, they literally, the airport was overrun by that, all the private. I, I do think that conversation is going to be start <laughs> to be had about Nick Saban in the future because, but again, I, Nick Saban shows no such. Underestimate that guy at your own peril. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't freak out too much. It, it, Alabama taking a step back means they're going to win ten games and yeah, and lose three games like that. But to them, that is a step back. That's like. You know, you have really high standards for a lot of football like programs and uh, organizations. They're one of those football programs. They are the standard. So, yes, 10 wins for them, three losses. The sky may be falling for Alabama. But they get to nine wins and they get single-digit wins. Then I think, yeah, you're going to start people, people start talking about the replacements of Nick Saban, who, she, who they should go after. 
But I'm with you. I think that that's a long way away. All right, let's talk about Texas and schematically what they did to pull off uh, this upset. Because I thought Sark had a, a beautiful game plan. I thought it was a, a brilliant game plan by him. Um, essentially getting his, first of all, getting his quarterback in a groove and getting his quarterback in a rhythm. We talked about that ad nauseum last week. Got to get Quinn confident. Got to get him in a rhythm. Got to get him in a groove. Don't chase the big play. All right, you're going to make the big play. Don't chase it. And I think, actually, I want to say Sark was hunting for the big play, but he didn't chase it because he didn't get your first deep ball until the second quarter, which I think for, for Sark, that's, that's, that's a little bit later than you usually get it. So I do think he was a bit disciplined when he came to deep ball, but it still worked out. He started out that game with this short, high-percentage passing game. If you look at Quinn's passes behind the line of scrimmage, he was 12 of 13. Talking about he was actually 92% completion percentage when he had throws behind the line of scrimmage. But they threw it a lot. A lot of screens, a lot of swing screens, uh, wide receiver screens, smoke routes, easy completions, high percentage completions. Essentially an extension of the running game. Long handoffs for Quinn Ewers. That helped him get in the groove. Now, that obviously that was all throughout the game, but you saw a ton of that early on before Sark started to threaten vertically down the field. And if you look at the short area, the short to intermediate, I mean, Quinn was only 9 of 17 from, if you go look at it from 0 to nine, uh, like 19 yards in between there. Most of his damage was done behind the line of scrimmage and deep. They were 3 of 6 on deep balls, 20 yards or more, and that does not count the pass interference calls. So you throw the pass interference calls, and that's a win for me. That means you're basically 5 of 8 on deep balls. That's a hell of a conversion rate for a team that was, what, 0 for versus Rice, and I think 1 of 17 uh, on the deep ball in their last two games. So I think for Sark, that was important, and I think that was the best part of the game plan for me was that it was built around getting Quinn Ewers in a groove. But here is schematically where I think he, he threw a lot at Nick Saban and Alabama. They just did not expect. Let's go to first down passing rate. If you probably watch watching and you think to yourself, man, they're throwing the ball a lot on first downs. I just talked about how the behind the line of scrimmage throws and attempts were an extension of the running game. Long handoffs. Sark on first down essentially decided we're going to throw the ball. That'll, that'll be our running game. They had, a, in the first three quarters, a 70-plus percent pass rate on first down in the first three quarters of that game. As you know, that dropped in the fourth quarter, ended up being close to like a 68% pass rate overall. But you're upwards of 70-plus percent in the first three quarters because Sark understood that Nick Saban's defenses, like most, are constructed to be heavy run-stop defenses on first down. They want to stop the run on first down and get you into second and long and eventually third and long. Nick Saban is thinking rush, he's thinking run on first down. First down, and his, his defenses are built, coverages, and everything called to stop the run on first down. Sark used that against him and threw it a lot on first down. He also, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the stats, 80% completion percentage on those first down throws and 11 yards per attempt on those first down throws. So you got, you got big plays. You got some deep balls. You got a 32-yard deep ball on first down. No, Sark loves to throw the deep ball on first down. 48% of his deep balls last year came on first down. For, that 44-yarder uh, that was also a, a deep ball. Um, but you got a 17-yard gain. You got a 34-yard gain. You got a 50-yard gain out of uh, throwing the ball on first down that weren't necessarily deep balls. They would run after the catch situations. So Sark was brilliant in the way he played that. You're, you only ran the ball. You, you were at 27% run rate on first down uh, through those first three quarters, and you were only averaging 2.4 yards per rush on those first down runs. You're not 
getting a lot of yardage, but it was symbolic and it was cer- it, it was symbolic and I think almost largely ceremonial for Sark to just keep the balance in the offense. He knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to do damage in the passing game on first down with quick, easy throws. Let's go to another element of the game plan that really took Bama by surprise and kept them off balance defensively. Uh, Sark, and I think this is something he probably got from my man Shano following him in Atlanta, uh, Kyle Shanahan, who's famous for telling me you present power personnel packages and then you pivot to past principles, right? So you're talking about, yes, thank you, Texter. We talked about last week, right, breaking tendency. You want to break tendency? Definitely did that with first down. Great way to break tendency. Usually you want to be more balanced on, on that rundown early on, those early downs. Not Sark, you said screw balance. To hell with balance. We're trying to win the game. He went 70-plus percent pass, uh, pass rate on those early downs in the first three quarters. So also, let's go to 12 personnel. They started out the game in 12 personnel. Went empty formation, but one back, two tight ends is how they started out the game. P- present power personnel packages, two tight ends. That's a power personnel package. And pivot to pass principles. They played about 30, a little 33% 12 personnel in that game. Probably a, a, little, little, a little around that. Probably a third of your game plan. But a 48% pass rate. Uh, when you had 12 personnel in there. Last season, Sark was around 35% pass rate out of 12 personnel. He's around 31% in 2021. So that broke tendency, too. Usually when Sark's playing a lot of 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, he's running the football or a lot. This time, throwing the football damn near half the time. Usually he's running the football close to 75% of the time or 70% of the time out of 12. Not this time. Not in this game. He threw it a lot. And you he averaged... Uh, Quinn averaged 12.9 yards per attempt when he threw the ball out of 12 personnel. That was higher than his yards per attempt out of any personnel package uh, or even his, his highest yards per attempt out of any personnel package or formation. It was out of 12 personnel. They did a lot of damage out of 12 because Alabama, just like on first down, they're thinking run. When they see 12 personnel, they're thinking, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a run. And Sark, he, he broke tendency at the right time with those particular personnel groupings. And something you and I talked about last week, Sark's uh, you know, familiarity with, with Saban and the, you know, the structural integrity of his defense and what his <laughs> rules for defense are. He knows them very well. So, as you said, break tendency and break him. Uh, and they certainly did. Uh, and I thought something you said earlier, and it was so, so evident that they, they used Xavier Worthy early. He dominated the first half with five catches and mm-hmm. 75 yards, and they were going tempo. That was going to force Bama to roll coverage to X-Man. That's when everything else opened up for Jatavion Sanders. He was uh, a decoy. Opened up for A.D. Yeah. Mitchell. Yeah, everything. Yeah, use him. Well, use him first. Use him first. Make him know he's your game plan. But then when they, you know, scheme to try to stop him, that's when everything else opens up when you've got athletes like they do. Yep. And uh, one other thing Sark did too, that I thought was brilliant um, I've been obsessed forever with targets to motion. Targets to motion is uh, when you target a player that was in motion at the time of the snap or prior to the snap. And Sark loves motion about 55% of the time. Uh, he's using some type of pre-snap motion or shift uh, within his offense. We were worried about that because of the crowd noise at Alabama that you could have some pre-snap penalties because there's so much uh, movement, uh, so much confusion, so many cheat codes Sark uses in the pre-snap. But because Texas made so many damn plays and controlled the game, they really took the crowd out of it too. That was one thing we didn't, we didn't talk a lot about. They took the crowd out of it because they controlled the game and made a lot of plays. But targets to motion. Last season, it was one of my favorite uh, cheat codes and force multipliers for Sark. Targets to motion in, um, in 2022, Texas averaged 10 yards per attempt. 
um, in the 80, over an 80% completion percentage. That also tracks with 2021, you averaged, a little, I think, nine yards per attempt, but you still averaged over 80% completion percentage. In this game, Sark had more targets to motion than any game for him as a play caller in the last three years. I went all the way back to Alabama national title game, national title season 2020. So in 2020, uh, in 2021, and in 2022, and including obviously the, the, the first two games of 2023, Sark has, ne- has not used this much target or this many targets to motion as he did versus Alabama. Uh, six of 10, could be seven of 11. I haven't checked because there was a time where uh, there's a play, you guys might remember it, is a third down to X-Man. He's in the backfield. They motioned him out of the back. Remember, something I said, I said, Sark, to break tendency, you should put more receivers in the backfield. First game I've seen where Sark put two receivers in the backfield, it was a first down to X-Man. I'm not sure if it was a third or a fourth down. I think it was a third down. It was a third down to X-Man. They got, it was a nine-yard game, ended up getting the first down. But they had him in the backfield. And then they, they ended up motioning him out of the backfield. Um, and they ran a route, like a flare route out of the backfield, and he caught it, ended up getting the first down. He, he shifts a little. I don't, so I, I could count that. If I count that, then he was 7 of 11. Uh, so 63% if I count that. But if you go look at targets to motion, 8.6 yards per attempt, targets to motion, uh, five first downs came in that game in targets to motion. So you're talking about upwards of a 40% first down rate or higher when you targeted motion in that game versus Bama. And I went back and looked and I said, man, I thought I remembered a lot of targets to motion in, in the Bama game in uh, 2021. Uh, and it was, sorry, 2022. And it was. He was actually, Texas was eight of nine against Alabama in 2022 on targets to motion. So he knew it was something that worked versus Nick Saban. He probably knew that because he's been on that staff, but also knew it worked really well against Nick Saban's defenses to target guys who are already in motion. And it worked really well in this matchup, too. And he did it, like I said, uh, gratuitously more than he's done it in any game in the last four well, years. And it was uh, it was a masterful game plan executed at a masterful level by Quinn. And that's, you know, we talked about what, what was it going to take to beat Alabama, uh, an elite quarterback performance. And uh, the previous quarterbacks who have won on that field had the legs, right? Cam Newton was a runner. Mm-hmm. Johnny Manziel could ad-lib and make plays. Joe Burrow could keep plays alive better than Quinn. But this was just a coach and a quarterback who were on the same page. And, and, you know, the coach dialing up the plays that he knows will be impactful and a quarterback executing them at a very high level. And that is, you know, you know what, what, what Saban couldn't stop in the big moments. I, mean, I was just – everything you're saying is it, you, you saw it and now you're explaining how the formations worked and created those open receivers, which is what uh, I think our audience appreciates. I think the audience also appreciates Rod responding responding Amen, when, when when you gave up the lead at 16 13 you bounce back with 14 points in 15 seconds say mm-hmm. that to yourself and then when your defense who's been playing great all night gives up a third and 17 and then Ooh. three plays later they're in the end zone and now they're back within the score now what are you going to do the touchdown to to uh, ad mitchell yep. i mean you respond and then run the clock out i mean that was emphatic to do it that way to outscore alabama 21 to 8 on their field, and all the ways you just said behind the burn orange curtain. Got several texts after we talk, talked about the crowd and that, those highlights. My buddy Woody said, uh, guys, I was there. Best game atmosphere I've ever seen. Saw CDC afterwards, and I said, hey, do you take notes? And he said, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Rip, Rip off and duplicate, Rip as CDC says. R&D, baby. <laughs> yeah, this says, uh, 
like that. He says, uh, was there, was very loud from the beginning mm-hmm. uh, of the game. Texas fans, they they showed up. I heard there was a nice a nice representation yeah. of the Burn Orange out there. Awesome stuff right there in yeah. behind the Burn Orange curtain. Oh, and did you hear what Keely Robinson said after the game? He huh. went to the recruiting section. The Alabama had a lot of recruits there. Big game for them. Uh, they had a lot of recruits there. So the section of recruits, he went there after the game and said, uh, y'all need to come to Texas. So, like a death row. Well, look, this <laughs> is, hey, listen, now that, it's row, the Monday af- now that it's the Monday after, we can say, we said all last week, Jerry Hamilton was with us from inside Texas. I mean, this the, the recru- the, winning this game would be bigger for recruiting than anything that can happen, even winning the Big 12 championship. That's what he claims. And we could see an avalanche of uh, recruits. Because, mm-hmm. look, when you're watching this game and you're seeing Quinn yours, you know, th- throw missiles to all these weapons – um, you know, the defensive side of the ball, it's where you have some youth, right? Ethan Burke was great. Anthony Hill Jr. was great. Uh, you know, and now you can add pieces. I mean, uh, you know, Colin Simmons is coming to Texas, right? He's the kid from Duncanville. Yep. You saw what Anthony Hill can do for an impact, two and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. You know, that was the defensive player of the year in this state a year ago. You've already got the commitment from the defensive player of the year this year who's coming in. Mm-hmm. This team is getting built for – talent-wise, to p- compete in the Southeastern Conference. And now we saw on Saturday night their their mentality, their culture has been is being built to where they can thrive in that conference as well. I think yep. that's fair to say. Totally agree. Good stuff right there. We come back. Uh, we'll, we'll do a, a Rod's rant as well. More deep dive conversation oh, yeah. about this game for the end of the hour. We'll play a little round of who said that, including uh, a, a broadcaster lambasting a team who was awful in week one. We'll get that coming up here on Ian Rodby. Texas Sports, the Horn. I've been hanging around this place. I've been looking through your space. I've been waiting for you. Another one of uh, Charlie Robinson's bigger hits, El Cerrito Place. Uh, written by Keith Gaddis, who was a close friend and uh, great songwriter, the late Keith Gaddis as well. But uh, sad news, 59 years old. Charlie Robinson, one of the uh, trailblazers of the Texas music scene. He and his brother Bruce, and uh, for so long, uh, those those uh, memories pouring in. Yeah. Uh, I saw the one from my, our buddy Kevin Fowler and uh, all those guys that grew up running around with Bruce and, and Charlie. Because um, those guys, along with Pat Green, really really started the trail. I mean, I'm sure down on Coke FM today, they're having a lot of conversations about it in addition to this big Longhorn victory and the weekend that was. But uh, Charlie was was one of the best. One of the best. Of too those. soon. Too soon. And obviously had been battling. Remember, he got married to one of the Dixie Chicks, and they had kids, and then uh, that, that ended. Uh, Charlie Charlie liked to have a good time. Charlie liked to, to go hard. Hey, um, you know. here for a good time, not a long time. Well, you know, if you're going to go that way, live it up. Live, live it while it lasts. But uh, 59 years young. The last time I saw him, I was front row, and he was sitting on a stool, and I had a bottle of Crown in the front row, and he took it from me. Yeah. <laughs> he, he went hard. We he shared, went hard. So. Good that is awesome. That's you know? awesome. Uh, let's, there you go. Uh, it's one of those things. You can do that for a while. You can't do that forever. You know what I mean? But uh, The road way, goes on forever. The party never ends. Part, well, that's exactly right. A lot well of people said, live by that. Like uh, that. There you go. Classic Robert Earl Keane song. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it, it does end. 
unfortunately. <laughs> and his wife put out a statement uh, that just, what, nine days after his 59th birthday, and uh, very, very sad. But uh, hey. you know, rest in peace, my friend. Yeah, but, hey, I would say that, you know, difference between men and women, you know, when it comes to the um, mortality, I think women don't want to die alone. Men don't want to die without leaving some kind of legacy. Children helps with both. Um, <laughs> saw the problem for both. For men, it's about you know, hey man, I want to, I, I want the world to know I was here about leaving a mark of some kind. For women, they're just like, no, I don't want to die alone. The thought of dying alone is freaks women out. Most men, we're sicko, so we have no problem thinking about dying alone. <laughs> uh, but I think for men, you want to leave their mark. He left his mark. He did. He left your mark, man. He did. He wrote some great got, tunes. So you got a legacy. His brother's combination of yeah. uh, the songwriting. We're and talking then, about your legacy as, uh, you know, obviously you've passed on. Well, and I when you say make a mark, right, you want you want music. If you're a musician, you're an artist, right? You're, yes. you're creating art. Exactly. And if you're, you know, immediately when, when anybody heard that story yesterday, you could immediately think of the five or six songs that were most impactful, and you hear those songs, and you, you appreciate jam. it, right? You go download that's, them. That's the, yeah. that's the mark. That's like, <laughs> that's okay. That's exactly right. He left a mark, an impression on people, and but gone too soon. Longhorns left their mark on Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Can I let you hear this? This will get you pumped up. This is uh, the Longhorn locker room after a 34-24 win. Take it away, Sark. Man, it's still very quick to me. I still think the pace of it is really fast and very abrupt, right? I I, I would love for them. You're used to a little longer version. I want a little R and B. I mean, a little, you know, a little casual, a little soul. They in go it. fast, man. They go fast, and it's almost like it's like the AI version of Texas Fight. Like it's just, Texas Fight, Texas very, Fight. Very you know, staccato. Yes, I, I want them to put a little bit more soul into it. I want some R and B in there. But hey, man, y'all beat Bama. You do what the hell you want to do, and you sing it how you want to sing it. It and sounded good this, after uh, beat Bama. Just listening to you talk about the offensive line is your biggest game ball and oh. yours. I was just looking. Cole Kubelik from ESPN does a great job. Oh, yeah. Former offensive guy. lineman at Auburn. Yeah. He always puts out the videos of offensive line play. And uh, his tweet for uh, Cole Hudson, no gloves, no tape, just blocks. <laughs> and he got out on a pool and took Ooh, out. Ooh, yeah. pancakes, uh, Alabama well, defender. Well, look at this one here, Put Rod. Him on his back. Look at DJ Campbell here, uh, decking people. Ooh. Texas brought it. Nasty. Texas brought the nasty. What did uh, what did Jaron Thompson say about the D line? They were nasty and violent. They were. Yeah, I got to say that this O line looks nasty well, and violent. What? That's what when you say when we talk about t- making this now a special season, not just a big win. Uh, everything's built here for this team to do. You know, I'm I don't, I, I'm not afraid to say it's, it could be like 2005. When the win in Columbus opened the door to and gave everybody the confidence that if we prepare to that level, we can beat anybody on the field. Mm-hmm. And that's what that team did. Vince Young was the leader. Now you have Sark and, and Quinn. Uh, I don't know if they're there yet, but, man, that is because when, you, when you're that explosive, but you're also that physical, when you're both, Rod, that's mm-hmm. hard to beat for a team, right? When you can be explosive like the big plays and Quinn throwing them bombs and X-Man and AD. I mean, you can be and J, J. Tavion Sanders out there rumbling and stumbling. When you can be explosive but also be physical and dominant on both sides, yes, I mean, sir. obviously that's, that's championship material. With that in mind, let's get a Rod's rant, uh, more deep dive conversation about these Longhorns. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite. 
and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Bro, oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. Uh, we had a texter, uh, and I appreciate the texter. They said, um, hey, guys, can we talk about, you know, I love that we're talking about the wind and everything, but can we talk about the drops? Drops? Because <laughs> X-Men had a drop that could have been a touchdown. Uh, you also had Jonathan Brooks with a drop that could have been a touchdown. Yeah, we have talked about the drops, and, you know, Eogan and I feel the same way. You know, I, I said when I first came in here, well, and I rewatched the game. I've watched it now twice, and I have one rewatch. We're going to rewatch it again and watch this line play. Usually my rewatches, full disclosure, they go – Watch the game, then I rewatch like coverages and receivers, quarterbacks, skill positions, then go rewatch it again and just watch line play. All right, and just kind of see what's going on on the on the uh, offensive and defensive line. It's kind of hard to see all that at one time. Um, but I digress. Getting back to the the drops, right? That's the the beauty of this win to me. The the best part of the win for me was that it wasn't perfect. That that it was that they didn't play their best football. They no. didn't. They actually there were I, I can point out there were mistakes. Yeah, I'm not gonna get into it because we should be celebrating today. But later on in the week, we are gonna get critical, right? As we go into the next week for Wyoming, and there's a lot to 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 criticize. There's a lot to correct. If you're a coach, that's why the coaches are definitely loving this game. They're like, man, we beat the hell out of Bama, and I still can go in here and chew the chew chew the chew chew these guys out for making mistakes and dog cussing for making mistakes and still get better. The, the beauty of that win over Alabama is that it was not perfect. It was not your best performance. But you saw this team battle adversity. You saw them show grit, testicular fortitude, and find a way to finish the game in the fourth quarter. So for the texture, we'll talk about the, the drops. Yes, we talked about them. And, yeah, got to get better. You can't, you, know, you can't have drops in crucial, critical moments like that, especially on the road in big games. Usually you don't beat Alabama when you have mistakes like that. But they did. They were able to overcome their mistakes, overcome the adversity that those mistakes represented. And then not only that, they were able to find a way in the fourth quarter to play some of their, if not their best football of the game. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of it came in new. the fourth that's quarter. New. That is new, Eogan. That is new. That, and that's about what you talked about, Eogan. That's about responding. Not only the way they responded to Alabama's efforts, Alabama came back to take the lead, and their response in the fourth quarter was a, an emphatic, dramatic one. Is that we came here to win this game, we're going to take it from Alabama. But there was also these little responses all throughout the game. The response from Alabama took the lead. You talk about it uh, when they scored, what, two touchdowns, uh, E, and 15 uh, seconds. 15 seconds or whatever it was. That was a response. What I like is what I saw individuals early on in the game uh, who ended up being heroes of this uh, transcendent win for the Longhorns who faced adversity either by making mistakes or, you know, uh, mental mistakes and errors in judgment early on, and yet they bounced back later in the game and made huge plays. X-Men had to drop. We talked about that. That's his regression last season. A lot of it was he dropped the ball a ton. And you know that that was in his head at one point. Like, damn, I just dropped a touchdown pass at Alabama. Damn. That is, I got to tell you, that's disappointing. I'm sure he was disappointing himself. But then the bounce back factor. And it's not how you, it's not, listen, everybody's going to have failure at one point. Everybody's going to deal with disappointment. But, you know, it's all about your reaction to it, your response to it. Everybody's going, life is going to kick your butt. It's just the way it is. So will football. All right. So after you have that failure or you have that mistake, that mental error, how do you respond to it? X-Man responded. With a great game, right? Got the big touchdown on the deep ball. First deep ball touchdown of Quinn Ewer's career. 
<laughs> I don't think that's the first deep touchdown he's ever had. I mean, he had a deep touchdown. He did it in Tuscaloosa at Alabama. Jalen Catalan missed that. Y'all probably remember this. Missed a tackle early on. Jalen Milrow made him look made him look silly out there in the open field. And he came back to lead the team in tackles yeah. <laughs> versus Alabama. Um, I remember Ethan Burke. Ethan Burke, he had lost contain early on. Yeah, on his own read. Yes, on a Jalen Miller. He, he, by the way, chased him down, too. Try to get a piece of him. He, he hustles, man. You can tell that he's a mechanic. He works. But he, he had a brain fart, right? He had a mental error. It's okay. Bounces back. Who has a great game. Ends up with a sad price should have had two. Tackle for loss. And I, I didn't see him make that mistake again. I saw it early. I didn't see it again. Um, Jaday Barron, he had a very similar play too where he lost contain on Jalen Murrow. Jalen Murrow got end up getting to the edge, got a first down. It was on a blitz by Jaday Barron from the edge, but he, he didn't keep the edge. He didn't contain the edge. Jalen Murrow got outside of him. A couple of plays later, Jaday Barron gets a pick, gets an interception. A.D. Mitchell had a fumble early on in the game on that reverse. We know he came back, scored two touchdowns. J.T. Sanders had that incompletion that could have been a fumble. That was an ugly play early on. J.T. bounced back. Had over 100 yards receiving. Jaron Thompson got beat for a deep touchdown that brought Bama back into the game. Did Jaron Thompson, did he pout? Did he get down himself? Nope. Got a pick a couple of series later. Ended up being, some people say, the biggest play in the game. Um, Anthony Hill. I saw him lose. I saw him lose contain on the quarterback as the spy early on because he rushed upfield too much. All right. And then he didn't squeeze that edge and he allowed Jalen Miro to escape the pocket. I saw him make the mistake once. I'm sure on the sideline they corrected it. It came back, ended up having two sacks in the game. I I, I got more examples. I saw so many examples like that throughout the game of guys battling through adversity early on and overcoming their own mistakes, overcoming mental errors, overcoming adversity, and then responding. And not only responding to it, but responding to it by helping their team and making big plays. That happened individually, but it also happened as a unit, as a team, a defense, offense, O-line. Saw it everywhere. That's what really impressed me on my rewatch. It's not necessarily the, the X and O's. We'll get into all that. But I saw football character. I saw grit. I saw a testicular fortitude. Those are the characteristics and traits of a championship team. Yep. Uh, and uh, well said. Well said. And that's, uh, you know what? We've talked about, you know, teams take on the, the, the uh, mindset of their leader. Mm-hmm. And Steve Sarkeesian has overcome a lot to get back to where yes, he, he is, is. right? Yep. I mean, and they talk about their genuinely close relationship with their head coach. They talked about how they trusted Sark and Sark, and he talked about it afterwards. You know, this Tuscaloosa place kind of saved my life. You know, I was drifting. He had had the battle with alcoholism. Then they found out the, the heart ailment, and he had heart surgery there. So he has a lot of emotion in Tuscaloosa as a place that he, he, he got back up, but got back up. And now his team, uh, as you just documented perfectly, over and over again in that game, Made a mistake, but uh, redemption. Play another play. Redemption. Short memories. Yes. Short the, memories. The opportunities for redemption are all around you. What are you talking about? Life or football? All you have to do is go out there and take advantage of those opportunities well, listen, for I, redemption. And you're gonna you're gonna have failure. You're gonna screw up. Everybody does, but. If you take advantage of those opportunities for redemption like all these players, like Sark did, uh, like Texas football is doing right now, that's the story people will remember. That's they right. won't remember the failure. Well, guess what? You know, Steve Sarkeesian and his battle with alcohol, when you and I know he still goes to meetings. Oh, yeah. That's day by day, right? One day at a time. No doubt. That now needs to become the mindset of this team. Maybe, you know, bro. One day at a time uh, because it's there. It's all out in front of you. Mm-hmm. But uh, don't let yourself derail yourself. Um, you know, keep, keep, keep it between the lines here. And keep keep preparing to your best, and uh, treat every team like they're, you're preparing for Alabama. 
and this can be a special season, not just a big win. We'll be back when we do. Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Including, is there a coach making excuses out there? What? Also, uh, uh, the rest of the who said that? Who said that's? Did Tawana tell you that? Who told you that? We told you that. Who said it? Who said it, Rod? Can I play this for you? Give it to me. Here is a coach in college football who's very proud of uh, his player who happens to be his son. Can you tell me who said this? He's uh, very mature. He's always been very mature, very astute. He studies his butt off, and he's prepared. Um, I'm not happy that we surrendered seven sacks, I believe, today. But uh, once we got it going and, and, and he got his rhythm, he performed greatly, but to take the onus on himself when someone talks about me—that's that's how we—that's how he grew up. Someone talked about my kids, I handled it. That's the expectation of a of a father, not a baby daddy, a father. I'm a real father, and I take pride in that. And uh, I try to teach my sons the the same. But overall, as a coach and as a father, I'm truly proud of uh, uh, all three of my sons and what they contributed on a daily basis. There you go. That's I'm prime time. Prime, baby. Uh, I know prime. I know prime. That's prime time. That was him time. talking about that, uh, that maybe Shador. there was some uh, Shador Sanders. Yeah, that there was some thought that Mac, Matt Rule may have uh, taken some shots at Dion or the, the team or whatever. I don't know when that happened, but apparently before the game, uh, Shador yeah. was the one that went and uh, confronted some of the, the Nebraska players. And, and he was upset they were on his on on the field, right, on the mid, uh, basically on oh, yeah, their, that's right. yeah, on they, their they, assemble. They were yeah, on they the were Buffalo. doing some pregame prep half, on the yeah. Buffalo. On half air. Yeah, and he went and took <laughs> care of business. Get a, get on up out of here. Yeah, in midfield, I that, I saw some video that he was upset that they were were they were they actually disrespecting the middle of the field the video. or were they just walking around on it? Uh, well, I yeah, because I didn't see intent either. will not be known, but I don't I don't think he liked it. I I think it was more that you know MJ used to always you know he would manufacture like beef. Oh yeah, he yeah. manufactured slights. Something tells me that Shadur Sanders might have been manufacturing the slight there. Something tells me Nebraska didn't go there. Well, it's stomping he, he, on the. Well, supposedly it wasn't Matt Rule. He had he had some comments this he earlier did, last week. But they can't find them. Like I basically everybody's kind of looking for the receipts Everything of what I've Matt heard. Rule said. His prime was talking about it. Too. Yes, everybody keeps talking, but nobody what's the quote. Nobody brings I up the quote. I haven't seen it. Either. Yes, I no. haven't seen the quote either. But they were like, yeah, Matt Rule said some things that were very. Yeah. You know, disrespectful to them. Like, what? Where's the quote? Every, Nobody will bring up the quote. Complimentary. Exactly. I, I think there's a little Michael Jordan manufacturing a slight here going on. Like, oh, oh Matt Rule. Oh, he's playing up the haters. There's no doubt yes, about that. Because I, I think yeah. everybody has a lot of respect, not just for the two and zero start, but gosh, they don't turn the ball over. They don't have any penalties. Uh, and that quarterback, man. I mean, if you go back and watch that that game, Rod, the quarterback mismatch between Shador Sanders and Jeff oh. Sims was like. One of the, the the most egregious I've ever seen. When one quarterback was in complete control and making plays through for 393 yards, two touchdowns, Jeff Sims like was point shaving, <laughs> dropping snaps, throwing picks. I mean, God, like Nebraska was actually had the game they wanted. It was zero zero into the late second quarter, and then Jeff Sims decided to just you know implode over a four minute period, and the game got out of hand. But uh, Colorado buttoned up and well coaches a football team. Yeah, man, they're looking good, no doubt, looking good. Yeah, I'm still looking for these comments. I keep hearing the co- people will reference the comments, but I nobody will print the comment that Matt Rule said that was so disrespectful. What do you have for me, Rod? Uh, okay, uh, let's get to this. Is a quarterback in the NFL? Hello. Apparently, there was some trash talk um, prior to this matchup from a defender, and uh, they're calling out this defender. Here's the audio. Um, honestly, at first, no, I, was, I wasn't thinking about any of that. Um, 
VA was open. He did a great job on the route and um, got him the ball, scored a touchdown. And then the second touchdown on the right side, the, the deep ball. Was that on Patrick Peterson? Yeah, and that one, I was like, all right, that, was, that felt good. But uh, it, was, it was good, man. He's a competitor. I have nothing but respect for Patrick Peterson and, and everything that he does. So. Is that Baker? Uh, no, that's uh, Brock Purdy. Oh, that's right. Pat- Patrick Peterson's now in Pittsburgh. Yes, I think it's been, yeah. So yeah, that's the hint. That you, that I thought going. it was still Minnesota, so I was thinking, well, that doesn't sound like Baker, but maybe he's disguising his voice. I don't know. Yeah, Baker had a great game, but yeah, Patrick Peterson apparently was talking some trash before Brock that Purdy matchup, was awesome. saying he want he wanted to intercept Brock Purdy. Uh, he was going to intercept Brock Purdy. So there you go, Brock Purdy. One of his touchdown passes against Patrick Peterson. All right, from one nice coach who uh, his team's buttoned up and is two and zero oh and um, looks very well coached to a coach whose team didn't, gave up a 48 number to Miami on Saturday. Is is this coach making some excuses for his team's one-and-one one start? Yeah, the ball just – they clapped. Well, our, they simulated our snap count, and our guys heard the clap, and they snapped the ball. We had a play – I mean, a whole play we had to play, like a goal line play, and what happened, the ball got snapped early because they simulated the snap count and slap clapped their hands and snare snapped the ball. Oh. God, he sounds like an idiot <laughs> all the time. Tell us how you really think there, Ty. Uh, oh, man. That is funny. Okay, well. Um, <laughs> we I, all know who that is. I know who it is, Jimbo Fisher. I mean, we all know who it is. But whether he was it make, just making excuses or was that really happening? First of all, he shouldn't be bringing it up in the postgame after you just got your butt kicked by Miami and you got upset. Don't even bring it up. Unranked was Miami. It, was it actually happening? That's the question I actually I, I, I do yeah, have. Yeah, you can, you can talk to the league office about that and talk yeah. to the officials during the game, but don't, yeah, don't give bring up, it up. No. What, 28, fourth, third quarter, second half points and you know lose a game to an unranked team. Uh, the Jimbo watch is officially on because I know it's a 70. But with what Texas did on the same day that that happened, you know, one of those big oligar- oil gar- oil- oligarchs down there mm-hmm. will cut a check because they're done with this guy, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're basically, a lot of Aggies fans are saying that Texas already has matched or surpassed the biggest achievement for A&M since they got into the SEC by beating Bama in the manner in which they did in Tuscaloosa oh. <laughs> already. So yeah, well, I wouldn't say that already, Aggies fans. I still we still got a little time. Well, it's just got to win a Heisman too. He's been there six years now. This is just a mediocre program, and so you know, at that point, what are you doing? I mean, and, and Texas is on their way to not being a mediocre program. They have been for a while, but that it was on full display that night after losing the game, and it was a crossover because you know we were out at the field house at the crossover doing our pregame show. And thanks again to everybody that came out and uh, hung out with us. It was a great night, and then went crazy when the game was over. Uh, but there was a crossover where, I know it's called Fieldhouse with the crossover, but when A&M fans were leaving and they started to bail in the fourth quarter and that's when Texas mm-hmm. fans were showing up to watch the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, there was a, uh, you know, Texas fans at that point were a little nervous. Oh. They're getting their game face on. And obviously we know everybody left happy. Got a text or somebody sent me. These are the comments I guess everybody's talking about that Matt Rowe disrespected Dion. Quote, I hear other schools say they can't wait for today, the transfer portal. They can't wait to go out. I can't wait to coach my guys. Let me tell you that. I'm not here. Um, I'm not thinking about anybody else but this team out here. Well, look, a lot of coaches were not happy when he was cutting players and so, turning the roster over that Dion. way. But you're right. Dion's got a little rabbit ears right now. He's looking for things to use his motivation. And he's got a tough schedule. Colorado State this week and then That's at Oregon, home to USC in the next three weeks for the Buffaloes. Longhorns have Wyoming this week. 
They've opened up as a near four-touchdown favorite. We'll talk more Texas football coming up. Also a little more who said that because there was an interesting uh, piece written that I want to read for you, Rod, that I think Longhorn fans are going to like to hear coming out of Tuscaloosa. We'll have that for you coming up. It's Ian Rod B. One hour to go. It's the fabulous fifth hour on a Monday. Uh, We roll all the way to 11 o'clock.